might like to grab out your Bibles with great enthusiasm, because this is the Word of the Lord. He has something, don't worry about me, but He has something to speak to each of us today. And that's what we want to hear. So we're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. As you turn there, I didn't want to give a detailed review of the prayer week, but I wanted to point your direction towards a couple of things for those who perhaps haven't been around the last few weeks and weren't even aware that we had a prayer week. We did. It was a great week. We set aside time during the day, each and every day, and somebody pointed out that by the end of the week, because there were two-hour slots with breaks in between, but we actually did 24 hours. That wasn't intentional, but it was 24 hours worth of prayer that we did during the week, and lots of good things. I, I was really encouraged. You know, sometimes we come to prayer almost thinking like we need to do this to, you know, remind God of a few things, and yet... As you pray, you realize that prayer is so much more about him reminding us of a few things, recalibrating our hearts. And there's something about corporate prayer. Like I love praying. I do in my personal walk with the Lord, I pray a lot. But we don't as a people, and I don't personally do a lot of that public prayer, especially with you know, groups of just the whoever's as a body committing to that. As in, I pray with set people. We pray as pastors and you know the groups that you're really comfortable praying with. You're like, yeah, I'll get those people and pray with those people. And there's something that can be uncomfortable about public prayer. It can. If you want to feel like you've got more hours in your day, just hold a two-hour public prayer meeting and you're praying, you're praying, you think, man, we must be nearly done the two hours. And then you look at your watch and you're like, it's five minutes. But there's a discipline to it. There really is. It really causes you to press in in a deeper way in your pursuit and seeking after God. And what I wanted to tell you was that during the week, because we had different people at different times, I asked everybody that where there was words, where there was scriptures, where there was things that we felt like the Lord was putting on our hearts, to write them down and keep a bit of a record. So if you turn your attention to our prayer wall, it's not set up to be perfectly picturesque, but it is a wonderful snapshot of some of the things, not everything, but some of the things that the Lord said during the week. So if you haven't already, if you didn't make it to the week or you came to some sessions, please, before you go, have a look and be encouraged. These are kind of some of the things that the Lord said during the week. This is what we're going after. This is what he's revealing. And I really feel like there was a a significance for us as a people in setting aside a week to seek the Lord. like It's, it's a powerful thing when, when a people, not just as individuals, but as, as a church, we say, you know what? We're going to turn our hearts to God and we're going to seek Him. And the other thing I wanted to point your attention to was this picture up here, if you haven't already noticed. That's a picture done by Lynn, who was here at the early service. I'm not sure if she's still here. There she is over there. And she's, uh, she didn't whip that up this week. She's been working on that all year, but it happened to be finished this week, and she brought it in. And I said, well, that's a wonderful picture. Obviously, it's a lion roaring. I said to her, what, what is it that you feel like the Lord was saying specifically? Like, what's, what's the roar of the lion about? And she said, I feel it's the lion of the tribe of Judah, a picture of God, and he's roaring to awaken his people. That was the specific roar. And as I said, that was a real theme during the week of the Lord saying, it's time for the church to wake up. It's time to arise. It's time to deal with all the sin that entangles us and holds us back. It's time to live with a passion for Him. 
And so he's roaring in the midst of the darkness, all the stuff that the church would he'd shake us to wake us. So have a look at that. And the, the other thing, actually, someone had a look at that, and obviously you can see you know, the, the nice ferocity of the line. You can probably make that out from where you are. But the, the first night that Lynn brought it in, someone looked at the picture and they said, can you see the joy in the lion's face? And as I looked, I was like, yes, you can. If you look closely, you can sort of see there's this ferocity, but there's this joy. And it, there is that sense of, you know, it's his ferocious joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And he's, he's shaking us up with his ferocious joy in this hour to accomplish all that he's desiring to do. It could have been a moment for a slightly more enthusiastic response. We'll press on. Let's pray. Let's pray. So, Lord, just thank you for a week that we've had, turning our hearts towards you. What a joy that is, even this morning, Lord, just to turn our attention, to focus upon you, to allow you, Lord, to realign our hearts, our thoughts, and our desires to be your thoughts and your heart and your desire. And we do pray, Lord, that you would... Shake us up to wake us up. We thank you that you are the lion of the tribe of Judah. You are the lamb that was slain. Let us never forget the, the reality of your blood poured out for us. But let us never lose sight of the lion roaring. And we pray that we'd hear your roar in our time. Awaken us up, Lord. May we shine like the city on the hill. May we proclaim your gospel to the ends of the earth. I just pray specifically, Lord, for our time in your word. I thank you that your word is such a gracious gift, that it has great power as it's accomplishing all that you desire it to accomplish. So may it go forth and may it penetrate even the hardest of hearts and may it bear fruit and a harvest for your glory, we pray, even this morning, through the power of your spirit. Just do all that you desire to do, we pray, in us through us in our midst this morning. Fix our eyes on you, Jesus, and the beauty and the majesty and the love, all that you are. Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. Better say amen or I'll keep going. I'm used to long prayer times now. I'll just pray. Pray, pray, pray. And I certainly don't feel like I've come to an end of, of praying. I feel really stirred in my heart the importance for us to, uh, to look at ways to encourage and to stir up. That was, that was one other thing I wanted to mention. Sorry, I am getting, getting the word. But I had a number of people who came for the week and one testimony from the men's breakfast, someone else, similar sort of thing saying, you know what, I came along this week to pray and I just kind of had that, yeah, I guess I should do this. I'm pretty tired and it's a busy week, but yes, I'll, I'll come. And in both of those instances, people said to me afterwards, they're like, I came tired, but man, I left refreshed. I left encouraged. One of these guys who came along halfway through the week is like, I'm reordering my schedule. I'm going to make room so that I can gather and pray. And it is, it's a privilege to seek the Lord in that way, but it's a, it's a privilege as well to come and to encourage one another, to build one another up. There's something about, you know, we, we feel like, well, we're... You know, just struggling to keep the, the flame alive. But you come and you put all the logs together, and what happens? We're built up, we're encouraged, and we, we have that privilege as the Lord's people. It's so easy to isolate ourselves, and we do that so often. That's not the message. Let's move on quickly before I preach something totally different. 
So I want to continue our series in 1 Peter chapter 4, remembering last time we looked at, at what I think is such a powerful phrase, a powerful proclamation, a powerful reality of the gospel. For this reason, the gospel was proclaimed, that people like you and I who were dead in our sins might be raised to life again. But the flow on is, for this reason, the gospel must always be proclaimed. It's always the message. It always will be until the Lord returns, so that the dead might be raised, so that people might be taken from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we had that recentering moment, which is good to have regularly, and really it's something to always keep before us and never lose the mercy and the grace of Jesus. The greatness of his love expressed in the midst of his suffering upon the cross as he died for us. So it's not like we lose sight of that, but there's still more to the picture. And that's a little bit of what Peter is going to launch into now. In verse 7, he says this, chapter 4, 1 Peter. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, let's pause there, mid-sentence. The end of all things is at hand, an interesting phrase, but it's more than a phrase. This really frames not only Peter's instruction that he's about to give to us, his exhortation, but it really frames his mission. You see, Peter and all the disciples, they live with this urgency and they live this, with this reality that Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, but he's coming. He is coming. And that produced in them something that I believe is missing in our lives so often in our current society. So what is it that we're missing? What is it that that urged Peter towards? See, rather than the end being near and that being an excuse for us to put our feet up and take it easy, maybe pour a cold beverage, have a little sit in the hammock, just take it easy, just relax. It wasn't. Or perhaps you might hear that phrase and think, well, Peter's going to say, you know, the end... Of all things is at hand, so why don't you just withdraw, unplug, go and hide in a hole somewhere. You know, perhaps just, just look after yourself. Take, take care of what's really important, which is you. But this is not an excuse to give up. It's not an encouragement to withdraw. What we're going to see is this is an exhortation that he gives with great urgency that we need to press on. That we need to push in. And remember, he's talking to people who are facing difficult times. He calls them the chosen exiles. And they were exiles in the sense that they'd been rescued out of darkness to light and that their true home was in heaven. But they were also exiles in the natural sense. Persecution had arisen. They were scattered throughout the known region. And yet he's saying, look, things are happening. The end of all things is at hand. Jesus is coming back. But when he does... Let us not be found on a private campaign to preserve our souls, living on a little tropical island, having our little tea parties. Let us be found on a public mission to boldly love God and live for his glory. That's really his urgency. And I set that up to say, well, let's look at what exactly that looks like in Peter's exhortation and this wonderful little letter. He says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore... Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. That could easily be translated, so that you can pray as you ought. So that you can pray as you ought to pray. So it's worth asking then, well, how is it that we ought to pray? 
How are we supposed to pray? What should our prayers be doing? I always think, and you could probably think of your own answers, but I always think of James's instruction. He says this, The prayers of the righteous are of great power. Great! Not just a little, of great power. And he gives us an example of Elijah. He says, well, look at Elijah. He was a man just like you. He prayed and it didn't rain, and then he prayed and it did rain. So why don't you start off with that? That's not the goal. That's just the, that's the benchmark, the starting place. So that's the example of some powerful prayers. You see, what's in question here is, is he's saying the end of all things is at hand. So make sure you're praying powerful prayers. Check your prayer life. How's your prayer life going? Are we like the disciples where Jesus said to them, now, can't you even pray for one hour? Can't you even pray for one hour? You last five minutes and you look at your watch and you're already falling asleep and nodding off. We've got to be believers who don't have our prayer life on ice, but who have our prayer life on fire. I could easily preach there, but I'm resisting the urge. Make sure we are praying bold and effective prayers. And if not, let's have a look and see and examine our hearts. What, what is it that's preventing that from being the case? Verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Again, we return to this theme. So first of all, he's saying, check the way you're praying. Next, he says, check the way you're loving. Are you really leaving it all on the field in your mission to love one another. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Don't do it just because you have to. Do it because you get to. Do it because what a wonderful privilege and mission it is to be able to love each other. That's what he's called us to do. And then verse 10, as each has received a gift, we'll come back to that. It's not really a gift. Sometimes we think of the gifts as gifts plural. Whereas in the original language, it's the gift, singular. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is the one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And that's a good place as any for a big Amen. Amen. So there's the mission. He says, check your prayer life. Check how you're loving one another and check how you're living boldly for the glory of God. And I want you to see this context. He's, he's just painted, as we looked last week, about this world, literally, his phrase, not mine, a world drowning in its depravity, a world in desperate need of the gospel. That's the context. And so he said, make sure, because the end of all things that is happening, because that's the context, we need to wake up. We need to make sure our prayers are on fire. We need to love each other passionately and purposefully. And we need to realize that the very Spirit of God is empowering us to live, not for our own glory, but for His glory. We are to shine like the light, a city on a hill. But it's not our light. We're called to arise and shine for our light has come. It's His light shining through us. Living boldly. And the good news is He says you don't need to do that in your own strength. You don't need to do this alone. His very Spirit will empower us to live for His glory. 
So I want to look at what that means, and then I want very quickly to look at three things that sometimes prevent us from really fulfilling this great mission, living for the glory of God. There's no greater call. Why would you want to live for the glory of me, the glory for us, when he's called us to live for his glory? But first of all, let's look at this little picture. So verse 10, narrow in on that. It says, as each has received a gift, as I said, it's a gift, the gift, singular, not glyphs, gifts, plural. What is it that he's saying there? He's saying that each and every believer is given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's start there. It says, as each, or because each has received the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians talks about the fact that you know, God has redeemed us, and as a sign of our redemption, he's marked us as his own by sealing our lives with the Holy Spirit. So every single believer receives the Holy Spirit. Now, we could talk about Paul's command to be infilled with the, the Spirit. We could talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But let's just make it clear that we're talking about every single believer here having been given the Holy Spirit. But it's given for a purpose. And he says this, each one's received it. And as you have received, because you have received it, use the Spirit's power in your life to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That word for varied there, some translations say the manifold. Literally means the multifaceted grace of God. So it's one spirit of God, but it's expressed in our lives in many different ways. Not the best example. I remember some years ago as I was preparing to uh, propose to my now wife of 13 years, and I was looking at engagement rings. I couldn't find anything I quite liked. So I thought, it's all right, I'll get something specifically made. I did my research and I looked, first of all, to buy a diamond. That was the first step. So there was a number of places around that were importing diamonds at that particular stage. And if you've ever looked at diamonds or bought a ring, you'll know that there's color and there's clarity and there's size and they're all ridiculously expensive. But this tiny little rock... So I looked at my budget, and I was only a year into my first career as an accountant, so I didn't have a lot of money, but I saved up my pennies, and the day came, and I bought this little diamond, and I ordered it, and it came in the mail, and I opened up in the package, and literally my first thought was, where's the diamond? Where's it gone? I mean, it was there, but all of this money for this tiny, minuscule little hunk of minerals. I mean, how on earth could that be worth all my money? I mean... Anyway, I took my little diamond and I went to the jeweler and I said, you know, I need a, a very nice looking ring. I'm going to propose to uh, my girlfriend. Hopefully she says yes. And so he said, no worries. And we designed something up. It took him some months to make it. And he called me back into the shop to say the, the ring was complete. And so I'd handed him this, this little, what I thought rough looking, tiny, but ridiculously expensive diamond and he put it in this setting of gold and he showed it to me he said hang on let me just put it under the light for you and in the uh the little jeweler's magnifying glass that they have and as i looked through that he said isn't that just the most spectacular thing you've ever seen and i've got to admit although it was ridiculously expensive and i found it hard to get past just how much money this little rock was worth shining the light through it was something to behold. And this guy was passionate about diamonds, so he talked about, you know, they're all different. But you show them under the light and you can see all the different facets, all the different expressions. He said, 
You can, you can actually tell, I can tell because I've experienced in diamonds, I can tell what region they're from. They're from this mine or that mine and even parts of the mine because of the different pressure that's involved. They have a slightly, uh, slightly different texture, slightly different composition, even within the families and types of different diamonds. And you know, it's a little bit of a, a picture for us of God's incredible grace, this manifold grace that he rescues us. We were just, we weren't a hunk of minerals, we were a hunk of clay. We were sinners deserving death. And not only has he saved us and rescued us and redeemed us, but he's taken us through his incredible grace. And his mission is to put us on display as objects for all eternity of his incredible grace. And each and every... This is is what's implied in this picture here. God's varied grace. Each and every one of us is a unique display of his grace. See, so many of us think, well, I don't have a story. I hear that all the time. I don't have a story. You know, my story is not like that person's story. I don't have a calling. I don't have this. I don't have everything. But he says, if you allow me and my grace to shine through you, you will be a unique expression to this world of his incredible grace for all eternity. I want you to hang on to that picture. So that's the mission. God's on a mission to glorify his name. That's not so surprising, is it? You'd expect God to be in the business of glorifying his name. But the wonder of it is he wants to use you and me to achieve that goal. He wants to use us to testify to a world of his incredible grace. But if we're really going to do that, there's, there's three things at least, probably many more, that we need to grab a hold of that we need to understand if we're to truly see this played out. Three things that we forget, if you're taking notes. Number one, very quickly, promise. Promise I'll be quick. It's been a long week. Number one, so often we forget that we're supposed, supposed to shine. We forget. We're called to shine. We are called to shine. It's a little bit like this. My uh, little nephew... He came back recently from a trip overseas, Paul and Alice and family. They traveled around, went to wonderful places, Switzerland and Europe and Spain. And so my girls, when they returned and when Ben returned, their little cousin, they went straight up to him and said, Benny, how was the trip? Thinking he'd tell them about all the amazing adventures he's been on. And he said, oh, it was incredible. It was such a great trip. It was good. You know, it was fantastic. Had a great time. And the girl said, well, Benny, what was your favorite part of the trip? What did you like the most? Straight away, he said, oh, it was, the, it was the videos on the plane. He said, you wouldn't believe it. I got my own TV, the in-flight entertainment. There was games. There was movies. And no doubt that he enjoyed all the other aspects and all the other things. And my girls, they tried to encourage him. So, well, that's great. You know, the planes are pretty fun. But see, sometimes I think we're a little bit like that as believers. We kind of think that the mission of God is to just give us a, a few DVDs just to help us survive the trip to eternity. The mission of God is so much greater. So much greater. But we're never going to fulfill it if all we've got before us is the in-flight entertainment. That's all. That's all God can do. And you see, I hear this all the time. I hear all the time, well, you know, God's got a plan. He's got a mission for this person and that person. But, you know, he just saved me because he felt sorry for me. He just saved me because he thought, well, 
you know, they're who she is. They're just struggling and, well, I guess I better do it. You know, there's no real purpose for them, but let's just, let's just help them across the line, you know, and they can just survive on the in-flight entertainment for the rest of their lives. Or I hear people say, well, you know, how could God use me? You haven't seen my issues. It's not just that I, ha- that I have issues. I am an issue. My whole life is an issue. And yet God is the God. He uses our issues if we'll allow him. He redeems us. He transforms us so that he can put us on display. That in the ages to come, we can see the immeasurable riches. His grace expressed in the lives of broken people. It's his specialty of turning all things around for his good and for our good. There's a second aspect to this. So we've got to understand that we're called to shine. The second thing is that so often we forget that the mission is to serve. We've forgotten what it is to serve. Verse 10, as each has received the gift of his spirit, the very power of heaven, he's given us everything he could possibly give us. And he says, this is how to use it. You're to use it to serve. This big picture, it plays out in the context of serving. See, human thinking would say, well, God's done all this so I can have a ministry, so I can put myself on display. Andrew Baker Ministries. It's got kind of a ring, doesn't it? It's okay. And worldly thinking says, well, that's the mission, isn't it? It's to just see how many selfie frames I can get in. Forget the camera, just get one of those drones. You know, I can just be 360 degrees constantly in the focus, in the picture. And yet the gospel says something else. It says you're empowered. The spirit of God is within you to serve. The central point of the gospel is an act of serving selfless love. God gave everything he had to bend low and wash the feet of humanity. And in turn gives us the privilege to live beyond ourselves, to love God and to serve one another. And see, not only is serving the path to glorifying God, it's actually the path to our joy. And here's the reality. Have you noticed that you cannot serve yourself? We try. We try. I mean, we say, don't we? We say, you know, would you like a word of encouragement? Well, yes, I would. Thank you. Would you encourage me? Well, you're looking great today. Well, thank you. I feel great. I feel good. We want to encourage ourselves. We want to serve ourselves But the Lord said, here's the mission. You're actually going to find the greatest joy in life. Not living for yourself, but living for him. And I love this picture. He says, serve. Whoever speaks, speaks speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. Saying the very power of heaven is in you to serve others. God's in you, but he wants out. Don't just speak. Speak the oracles of God. That's the wisdom, the express revelation of God. He says, don't just serve, serve by the strength that God supplies. Don't just love, love with the limitless, unfathomable love of heaven. Don't just go through your day-to-day, nine-to-five job. Don't just build, build with the passion of creativity that God gives you. Don't just raise your kids. Be parents empowered by his spirit to raise a generation that will change the world. His spirit is in us, his power to enable us to serve. But we've got to recognize that he's the end of the story, serving him and serving others, not just ourselves. And number three, really quickly, 
Not only do we so often forget to, stir, to serve, but we forget to steward. Such an interesting phrase here. Again, verse 10. It says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve, first of all, as good stewards of God's varied manifold grace. So how on earth do we steward God's grace? What does that mean? What does it look like to steward the grace that God gives us? Well, here's one example. You see, the list here that, that um, Peter gives us is not prescriptive. He only talks about two gifts, doesn't he? He talks about if you speak and if you serve. And he's not saying these are the two most important gifts. He's not saying, well, Paul talked about all these other gifts, but forget about them. Just listen to my gifts, I'm giving my own list, and it's a better list. It's not a prescriptive list. The point is, he's saying, whatever it is that you're called to do, whatever gifts God has given you. And there's many other gifts in Scripture. There's people who are anointed by the Lord to work with their hands. There's people like David who was anointed to play the harp, amongst other things. It said as he played, the Lord's anointing was on him and it ministered to Saul, the king. But here's the thing. So often we look at a gift. People perhaps looked at David and they thought, what an incredible gift of playing the harp. I can guarantee you that David didn't just wake up one day anointed with this gift of playing the harp. I think I'll just play the harp. You see, that was something that obviously he felt called to, but he stewarded. He would have taken harp lessons, whatever they are, dragging his harp around to the local harp teacher. And they're heavy. I'm sure he's thinking, God, couldn't you have given me a flute? Couldn't you give me something a little lighter? The point being this, is that we have to steward, and the stewarding of our gifts is part of the preparation process. I want to give, just give you one example, and then we'll bring it back together, and we'll conclude. So I've been thinking this week as, as we've prayed. Let's put it in that prayer context because that's kind of what's on my heart. You know, the Lord encourages us to pray. He says, you believe in faith, anything is possible. And then he even speaks and says, this is what I want to do. I want to do this and I want to do that. And so often we're so focused on the end product, we forget that there's a process. There's a process involved. And prayer isn't just about, I believe, getting the end product. Prayer is about the process that the Lord takes us through to get there. He's saying, that's what I want. That's where I want to get you. But there's a process of stewardship that's going to enable me to get you to where I want to get you. So that is in the picture here, so that you can shine with the fullness of the glory of God in, in your generation. Not a, not a great example, but this is what came to me. It's the best picture I can give you. It's a little bit like this. I've got kids that I love dearly. I talk about them all the time. I rave about them, and I tell them how much I love them, and I would do anything for my girls, anything. And I tell them that. I say, girls, I'll do anything. In fact, Danny came to me the other day. Maybe I've said this a little too many times, and she said, Daddy, I've been thinking. I said, that's always dangerous. Tell me what you're thinking. She said, well, you know, when I get older and get married, I think I'm going to live in this house. And I said, oh, that's interesting. I'm already getting shipped out of my own house. I said, well, what's going to happen to, to you know, your mother and me? What's going to happen to your sisters? And then Rachel, she, she pipes up in the background. She says, okay, Dad, I've got it figured out. I've decided I'm going to go and build a tree house up the hill in the backyard. She said, me and my husband will live there. And I think my wife and I looked to each other and said, we've got to pray this guy in. I mean, this is going to be quite a guy. So we're starting now. We're just, we're just pressing in, interceding for this, this man, this future husband. But I tell my kids all the time, say, anything you want is yours. 
And yet at the same time, if one of my girls came up to me and said, well, Dad, can I have the keys to the car? What do you think I'm going to say? Say, sweetheart, I love you, but you're kidding yourself. There is no way in the world that I'm giving you the keys to the car. Why is that? You see, I have a desire that my kids will one day drive a car. And I'll tell them, I'll say, sweetie, it's, it's my heart. I mean, I do not want to be driving you around when you're 50 years of age. And I want you calling me up saying, Dad, give me a lift. I want you to drive a car. But there's a process. There's maturing. There's, there's developing that's got to happen. And even when it does come time that you know, we'll do some driving lessons, I'll be there with you. We're going to find a safe environment, a safe place. I'll sit next to you in the car. I'll walk you through it step by step. I'll teach you. I'll warn everybody in the surrounding vicinity to be careful. But I'll, I'll walk you through it. I'll take you through it step by step. I mean, it's my heart and it's my desire. But it's going to take some time for us to get there. I can't wait for the day that I can hand you the keys and you can drive yourself around. I hope you take some of the, your sisters with you as well. <laughs> Wonderful. I want us to get there. But you've got to realize there's a process. And right now, here's the journey. I've got to be able to trust you. I've got to be able to try. So just seek me. Press into me. Just show me in the, in the little things and the areas of responsibility you've got now that you're faithful, that I can trust you, and then we will get there. I guarantee that we'll get there. And so, so often I think that's why the Lord in, in, in his word, like he gives these promises, and you're like, really? Is that, is that for real? Like that's, that's so far outside anything. But it, it's so that we hang on to that, but we don't lose sight of the stewardship now. He's saying, seek me for that. That's my heart, and that's my desire. But right now there's a preparation process that we've got to go through. It's his mercy that he will not give us what we ask for until we're ready and everybody else around us is ready to handle it. So often I feel like we give up. We abort the promises of God because we forget the process. Like, oh, well, it's too far away. And you know what? I prayed it. I prayed it. I prayed it once and nothing happened. You see, God doesn't love me. And who's ever had that in the house? I'm honest, we've had a few of those moments. Dad, you don't, you don't love me. I'm going to go and find another family. Find someone else. Good luck, sweetheart. There's the front door. I mean, how, how you go? And we're the same. You know, one prayer and we're ready to give up, ready to throw in the towel. That's it. You know, God doesn't love me. I'm going to find a new family. I'm going to find someone else I can worship. The Lord, the Lord is calling us to not lose sight of the need for us to steward. He wants us to shine, but we've got to learn what it means to serve. And we've got to learn this process of stewardship. I want to pray for us. So can you just put, put aside your... I don't know if there's anyone who can come and play the keys. Thank you, darling. I think everyone will want to see your wedding ring now. few things in particular that I want to pray, and if you've got to go, you go, that's fine. Personally, I feel like it's the, it's the invitation after the message. I mean, to hear a message is one thing, but to respond is something completely different. And to ask the Lord, Lord, what is there in here that you're saying to me? There's a couple of things specifically as I prepared this that were on my heart. First thing is this. It's breaking off the lie of insignificance. So often I think that we're discouraged 
that we're downhearted because all we can see is the problems around us, the process around us. That somehow we're, we're locked into this mentality that, well, my life's really just all about the in-flight entertainment. It's never going to go anywhere. It's never going to do anything. I might as well just try and enjoy the ride. Put up with the ride. You know, you are not on this planet to endure. You are on this planet as a unique expression of the grace of eternal God that He is longing to display through you. If you will just lift up your eyes, if you will let Him do what He needs to do to shine through you. So Lord, I want to pray for that straight away. For anyone here who's in that place, who's heard that voice of the enemy that said, you're not going to do anything. You're not of any real great value or worth. You're never going to achieve much in your life. And if you believe Jesus, you might as well just drag your feet through and hope that you get there at the end of the day. And Lord, I pray that your truth would be proclaimed in the hearts of your people. I pray that rather than that live insignificance, that the truth of your infinite value and infinite love that you pour upon us, that we'd hear the voice of the Father saying, I chose you and I called you before I formed the earth, before I breathed, put the stars in their place. I chose you. You were conceived in love. And his desperate heart for you is yes to save you, but it's to sanctify you. It's to call you to that place of just complete surrender where he can turn your life into something beautiful. And Lord, I want to pray as well for anyone here who perhaps we've forgotten the need to serve and to steward. Lord, maybe we've aborted your processes because we just saw what's well, too hard. I want to give up. You don't really love me. I tried that. I prayed the prayer once. Nothing happened. And Lord, I pray that there'd be that, just that gentle but intentional drawing for us to fix our eyes upon you again, for us to come after you. And I pray particularly, Lord, just a, a breaking off of previous disappointments, misplaced expectations. Lord, would you capture our hearts again with the expectancy which comes from knowing you're, you're a father who has good things. You have more for us than we could possibly imagine that could ever enter into our hearts. And I pray, Lord, as, as we just come back to that place of surrender, that expectancy, that hope, that faith would rise in the hearts of you. Lord, that not only would we submit to the process, but your roar would awaken us with a passion to pursue the process with everything within us, 
to seek after you, to pray with prayers that are on fire, to love with an unquenchable love, to shine for you the glory of your grace shining through your people to a world in need, to serve with the very power of heaven behind us. Lord, would we be that type of people we pray in Jesus' name. The Lord's obviously just here ministering to people and you're welcome to just sit there and receive that. If you want prayer this morning, there's a prayer team. It doesn't have to be in regards to anything that we've touched on. It can be anything at all. If you need to do business with the Lord, you come forward, we'll pray with you. you. Feel free just to sit there and just allow the Lord to do what he needs to do there as long as your needs no, no need to run away. Not until... The Lord's finished what he's doing in our hearts this morning. So we pray all these things, Lord, in your wonderful name. Amen.